to see you. Um, last week we we sent off Paul. Today we're going to do something similar. Um, but I wanted you to know that last Monday night, the Zion Deacons uh, unanimously approved uh, David Rupp to be our first official deacon at Zion and Petroleum Valley. He'll be overseeing uh, our facilities. And so if there's ever an issue or problem, please talk to him. And then, <laughs> uh, but, but just so you know, he's, not res- he's, he, he's going to need everyone's help, especially as projects come up and so forth. And we've been kind of looking through this. What, what is a deacon? What do they do? Uh, because there's more than just having a responsibility. And in fact, I, as I was thinking, how can I best describe it from the scriptures? In 1 Timothy 3, listen to these qualifications. They are not so much what they do, but who the person is. Uh, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them first, and let them also be tested first, and then uh, let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households wells. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ. They are to be a bulwark for the faith and help to, to defend and, and be part of the spiritual responsibility for the church. So David, come on forward. He has accepted that call along with his family. Um, Tom, unfortunately, can't be here today. Is there anyone else who would like to come up and, and join me in some prayers? Put your hands on. Christy, you want to come up? And uh, anyone else? And we will pray uh, for the Rups. Yes, together. Go ahead and start. God, I thank you so much for bringing the rust to mm-hmm. us. Lord God, it is a, a humbling responsibility to be to shepherd your people in in any capacity, whether it is uh, the the folks who are leading our kids downstairs, whether it is being a deacon, being an elder or pastor, uh, or just leading a ministry team. God, those are are heavy responsibilities, and so we would be we'd be in deep trouble without you, Holy Spirit, guiding, empowering, giving us words, giving us guidance. And so we pray that as you've given us ears to hear and eyes to see, that that would be especially true for David and for Christy as they uh, take on this responsibility. Lord, we are grateful for them and for them uh, allowing us to pursue the other things that we are gifted in and want to do for your people and for your church, uh, because that's how we work together as one body with different roles and different uh, responsibilities so you get the glory, so your message goes forth. Thank you, Lord. We are encouraged to see what happens 
in the future. In your name, amen. amen. Thank you, sir. Okay. Um, you know what? And maybe you're thinking there, boy, that's something maybe God's starting to speak to you, to be in that role as, as a deacon in a particular area or, or an elder. And so listen to the Lord is all I'm encouraging you to do, and we can move from there. Um, there's an old, uh, I heard this example a long, long time ago, and, and frankly, I don't know if this actually happened or if it's kind of like a parable, uh, so I don't know who to quote and thank for it, but it's, it, the story goes that there was a man who, you know, about the turn of, I guess we say the 20th century, was getting on a steamship from Europe to the United States, and he saved and saved and saved, it took him a long time to save the money for passage on this ship. And, and he finally did, he finally got his passage, and he got on there, and he brought for himself, brought a blanket, brought uh, uh, some, you know, some food for the journey, and so forth. Well, it didn't take long for him, first of all, to start getting uncomfortable, because he was just, you know, sleeping out on the deck chairs with his blanket, and then, and then he, his food ran out, and it was just within a day or so. And so he starts getting really, really hungry. And finally, he just can't stand the hunger anymore and the cold and discomfort. And he, and he asks the purser, he says, please, is there, is there some food that I could have? And the purser said, well, are you a stowaway? And the man said, no, no, I, I, I bought a ticket. I have my ticket here. And the, and the purser said, sir, your ticket comes with food and a bed. You, you have this for you. You have these riches for you, and you can go and eat as much as you want. And 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 let's go find where you sleep. All this is available for you. And what it illustrates for us as believers is sometimes we live like we're paupers when there's a great riches that's available for every believer. And today we're going to look at it, again another kingdom parable, and it's about a wedding feast that is coming in one hand, but it's also, it is God saying, I have things for you on top of all the grace we get just to be saved, to be rescued from hell, to have our sin paid for. God says, I also have great riches and wonderment for you. And so let's continue. We have this week and next week, and we'll finish up our kingdom parables. Uh, Matthew 22, it says, uh, verse 1, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. Now, as we've been learning and seeing, these parables are in a specific context. They're, they're not random. There are reasons why Jesus told these specific parables when he did. And in the latter part of the Gospel of Matthew, there are three that he is aiming right at uh, the, the Jewish leadership, the priests, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees, all those different people. He came into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, coming on a donkey, and then he starts cleaning house, literally, as he's in the temple and turning over their tables and the money changers and all those. And the reason why he was so upset by that was primarily they were ripping people off and the people getting rich were those same leaders and so they were not liking what he was doing what did he how did he have a right to do that uh, last week we saw the parable of the two sons and where one son or the, the the father says son go into the field and the first son says no I'm not going to do it 
but he goes. And the second son says, sure, dad, and then he doesn't. And Jesus challenges, challenges them, which son obeyed the father? And I said, really the first one, even though he said he wouldn't at first. There's also the third parable. We're not going to be uh, talking about it specifically, but it's the parable of the unrighteous tenants or managers, where in this parable, a man buys a vineyard, gets it all set up, and get, gets get ready to produce grapes, but then he lives far away. So he moves off and puts it in charge of managers or tenants. And so uh, when it's time to get the produce from his vineyard, he sends a servant, they abuse him. He sends another servant. They kill him. And then finally, this guy, what am I going to do? I'm going to send my son. Kind of sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? And says, I'm going to send my son. Well, they say, this is the heir. Let's kill him. And in the parable, they do. And so Jesus said, what is the landowner going to do? And he said, literally, he's going to have those wretches, wretches come to a wretched end. And Little do they know they're talking about themselves because God's been giving them responsibility of the gospel, the vineyard, and they've been squandering it. They have not represented the landowner well. And they start, they're starting to figure out that Jesus is pointing these parables at them. So with the cleansing of the temple, the opposition to Jesus is also rising. And then, oh, by the way, after this parable, it's going to be uh, a little bit later, he's going to start pronouncing woes upon them. Not woe, but uh, a, a condemnation, the strongest condemnation Jesus could give. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you snakes. Uh, and goes on almost for the entirety of chapter 23 in the gospel. And so they, they're reaching their point where they've about had it with this Jesus guy. They don't see who he is, what he's about, uh, and that he has come to proclaim the kingdom of God for which they have no real interest in. So, clear comparison. Remember, these parables are telling us about the kingdom of God. It's like this. And he uses an example that everyone would understand. In this case, it's a wedding. The kingdom of God is like a wedding. So Matthew 22, starting in verse 2, I'll read through verse 10. The kingdom of heaven, or kingdom of God, may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call who, those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troop and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And the servants went out into the roads and gathered uh, all who they found, both good, bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. So, just in summary, the, ki the, the king's first invitation. Now, we say the first one, but there's probably a preliminary invitation. 
And it's one of those things that we do today, right? We, we, we say, well, there's a, there's a wedding coming, or you get an announcement, hey, save the date, the invitation's coming later, and the little RSVP card in there. And that announcement has been made. Hey, coming up, my son's getting married, get ready. Maybe they knew or didn't know the date, but it was a preliminary invite. But now it's time for the wedding. And these people who receive that notice, they're called the they're called the called or the invited. And the wedding was for a son. Now, um, who does the son represent? Probably no one in this parable, even though it kind of sounds like it might be Jesus. But he doesn't come into the rest of the, of the parable. Uh, weddings for them could last multiple days. You know, other cultures, I know for, for my, my ancestry from Poland, uh, a wedding could easily last four to seven days, of which most of the people don't remember. But that's another thing. Uh, but they, they last a long, long time. Uh, but like today, weddings have multiple facets, right? There's, there's so many things you got to get ready for. You got to get the food ready. You, gotta, you, know, you have to have your venue. Uh, you have to have kind of a, a, a time where you're going to do everything. There has to be a cake. You're going to throw rice or birdseed. There's all these different parts. There's the couple's dance. There's all these different aspects of it. But even back then and today, there's at some point where people are going to eat. And so this was the time the wedding feast is ready. Uh, and that's the focus really of this particular parable is that there is a, a feast. Everything is ready, come now. But they refused. Not just ignoring it, but outright refused. Say, you know what? This king is not important to me. He's not important for me to, to, to uh, be part of this blessing he wants to give. So he sends out again some servants and says, look, the meat is cooked, everything's ready, and that is a practical aspect to that, right? Because they didn't have refrigerators. Everything's ready, you better get here before all of this spoils. Get here quickly. But then they refused again. They, even, they, they were careless, they took no, no, no notice, they just thought light of it. Uh, and in the parable said they, they were more concerned with their more commercial Ideas. I think Jesus is hearkening back to their commercial interest back in the temple, the money changing and all the other nonsense they were doing there. They were more concerned with their farms and their business rather than honoring the king. In fact, they even went downright were violent to these servants as well. Now, so now we're, they're not just passively rejecting the king. They are actively rejecting them. Well, so he responds, he sends his troops. Remember, this is a parable. This event didn't actually happen. It's an example to teach us about the kingdom of God. He declares that the original invitees, all those people that got the original invitation, are not worthy. Matthew 10, 37 and 38 says, Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his, take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Same idea of being worthy. So finally he sends a look to his servants. Let's do a brand new invitation. Just find whoever you can get. 
Go into the highways. Just go find anyone. Bring them into the wedding. It says they found both good and bad. And finally, the hall was filled. The city elite, the important people, no, they've shown themselves they really don't care for the king. But how about the other ones? How about the other ones saying, free food, come on, big feast, come and enjoy yourself, come join the wedding. These folks felt what an honor, what a blessing for them that was available. And then there's this one guest, though, and he stands out. Getting back to the parable in verse 11. But when the king came to look at the guest, imagine how he's feeling. He's got everything prepared, all this food, entire uh, you know, sides of beef. Do you, ever, do you ever go like to a pig roast? That's a lot of food. There's a lot of meat there. And you think, you know, will, it, will it get eaten up? Obviously, they were Jews, so they weren't eating beef. But the, again, a cow, a calf, lots, a lot of meat. Uh, and so everything's ready. There are people there to eat it. He's probably feeling pretty good. And then verse 12, and he said to them, um, oh, he saw a man with no wedding garment. And the guest said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king then said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called and few are chosen. Remember, the servants, whoever would come, come on in. And they weren't, you know, checking the, uh, how, if they were worthy or not. But this unnamed man did not have a wedding garment on. Now, I've, I've read in commentaries and in other places uh, that in those days, the host of the wedding, in this case the king, was supposed to provide everyone like a, this robe, a linen robe. We don't know if that's really true or not. <laughs> it may have been, it may have not have been. It's, it's not recorded anywhere in scripture that a host of a wedding gives robes to the wedding guests. We just don't know. It, it could be true. But when we go to a wedding, don't we wear some good clothes, at least clean clothes? I know weddings today have gotten a little more casual. I wore a tux, but a lot of people don't wear tuxedos anymore. But you know what? They're going to wear at least clothes that are in good repair, maybe brand new. Uh, They're they going to be clean. Usually people do that out of respect to the bride and the groom getting married. Regardless whether he should have had a robe provided by the, the host or not, he's at the wedding and he's not dressed for it. That's, we could at least agree on that and see that in the wedding. And that is another expression of disrespect. Regardless, he's not dressed properly. His decorum is, is an affront to the king. He should have been in his best. He should have also known better. It was a matter of thought, not just a matter of fact. So the king says he binds him, weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is often used as an expression uh, of hell, also outer darkness, thick darkness of light, of night. Um, so while the door was open for all, it doesn't mean that you can just show up and not be ready, not be in a state of holiness. This is the person who tries to have faith without works. Jesus finally, after all of this, explaining this parable, says, for many are called and few are chosen. 
So what's the kingdom of heaven like? What does this mean? What's, what's he trying to teach us? As we've seen in other parables, there's the characters or situations are representing things about the kingdom of heaven. Well, who's the king? Well, that's God. That's God the Father. Who are the servants? Could be angels. Could be the prophets from the Old Testament, you know, because the prophets were proclaiming God's message, were telling people about God and his kingdom, and some of them were, were abused, and some of them were killed. Could be the prophets. It could represent possibly Jesus and John the Baptist. As we know in the future, the, Jesus will be killed. John was killed. So it could be them. Well, who are the original invitees who are not found to be worthy? Well, in general, it would be the people of the Old Testament, Israel. See, when, when we fell in Genesis chapter 3, all of humanity, God started his plan rolling. The gears started turning. And his Old Testament plan was to use the descendants of Abraham, who we now call Israel, or the Jews. And they had a responsibility. They had a responsibility to worship the Lord and tell everyone else what the Lord is doing. And you see God constantly <laughs> telling them, look, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to re represent me. And sometimes Israel did really, 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 really well with that responsibility, and a lot of times they did not. That was his original uh, plan in the Old Testament. But it wasn't to be the plan forever. Because then he says, we're going to get another plan, and I'll get to that in a minute. So at least generally, these original invitees, the ones who were later declared not worthy, they could represent Israel. But specifically, he's talking about the leader class. Not all of them, perhaps. God always kept a remnant of faithful people within Israel. But these, these leaders, these priests, these uh, Pharisees and so forth, uh, the New International Commentary says they, they just don't care about the will of God, even though they should. And frankly, what they were doing is they were too busy with other things. Their business priorities took precedent. They didn't like the, cleanse, the cleansing of the temple because it messed up their priorities. Their apple carts were certainly turned over. Who are the replacement invitees? Well, could be Gentiles. But I think specifically, I think it's the church. And as you read through the whole gospel story, some of you use this fancy word, call it a meta-narrative, a big, long story. It, it transforms from Israel to the church. Now, it doesn't mean God's done with Israel. I mean, look at Acts chapter 2. The, the, the birth of the church happens in Jerusalem with a bunch of Jews. That's where it starts. You could read in Revelation, the 144,000. God has a place for Israel as well. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 11, Paul describes it a little bit. And he uses the example of grafting and uh, if you go online and go to you know, Burpee or one of these seed or plant places, you could probably find a bush 
that will give you both lemons and limes. You ever see those? You trust both, find them, order one. How do they do that? There's no seed that gives you a lemon lime tree. What they did is something called grafting. And I don't know who figured this out, but actually most cherry trees are grafted. They will take the roots of one tree and graft another cherry tree on top of it. And that's why if you look at, uh, besides a wild cherry tree, there'd be like a scar around the bottom. That's where it was grafted. You cut the, the uh, like say a lemon tree, part of a lemon tree, you cut off some of the branches and then you get lime branches and you stick them on there. The branch has to be about the same diameter and then you bind them together. Well, those branches will then fuse and you can get a lemon tree that also has lime tree branches. Kind of cool. Now, obviously not every plant could do that, but in, in that case as it is. So Paul knows about this in Romans chapter 11, only he uses an olive tree. And like, like here, there are wild fruit trees and there are cultivated ones. Paul says Israel was the cultivated olive tree. And what God has done is he's cut off some of the cultivated branches and he's taken a branch from a wild olive tree and grafted it on. And that's called the church. And Paul's, he's not talking about individual salvation here. He's talking about God's plan, uh, what, how he is reaching people, uh, and who he's using. And so the church is that wild olive branch that is now part of God's ultimate plan. He warns them, don't get arrogant, don't get cocky, because if God removed the, the natural branches, he could remove the wild ones too. But, if, but, the, but the event, as they grow together, they have a place and a part in God's ultimate plan. It's why, frankly, we need to be paying attention to what's happening in Israel today, because it's all part of God's plan uh, of, that they are going to be involved So these replacement invitees, those who respond, those who came to the invitation. I think more generally it's the church. In the previous parable, Jesus said there were tax collectors and sinners who repented. But who is this unnamed guy who uh, really gets the king upset? He got in somehow, but he's not ready. Because there are some people that... I guess we would say try to have a fire insurance faith. Oh, I just want my fire insurance and then I'll I'll live how I want to. They're not prepared. They're not living in holiness. Uh, They're going to be exposed. Those who reject God's call, again, as a group, will be excluded and replaced. So what does this mean for us? Again, this parable was pointed at them at specific people who were failing. But is there any application for us? Yes, I think there is. There's no higher priority than the call of God. He's everything. He is, he is the one for whom we pick up a cross and follow him daily. There are other things in our lives, but he is the, he is the primary part. Has the Lord, for some people, become 
someone to ignore. And yes, for some people, maybe they had a, a conversion experience, they came to the Lord, but over time, remember Tom preached on those soils, the four soils, one soil where they, they had a lot of weeds and other stuff just kind of choked it out. And it wasn't instant, it was just over time, something else becomes more important than the Lord? Or does God seem like he's an interruption? Does he, does he turn up our apple carts of what we want to do? There's still going to be a wedding feast. The question is, do we want to be part of that? There are consequences to rejecting that offer. God owes nothing to anyone. We have to revere him with graciousness and humility, unlike those leaders Jesus addressed. Those who consider themselves important have no place in the kingdom of God. It makes me think of the parable we did a few times ago, the first shall be last. Remember the firsties? They're last. They think they're important. They might even be Taylor Swift or Kelsey. And they're so important. They're so important to everybody. And I'm not knocking them. I don't really don't mind them. I just don't pay them much attention either. They're not saved just because they're popular and rich at all. They need to come to faith just like anyone else. There's nothing more important than the Lord. And someone can say, well, so what do you mean? We got to give up everything and go live as hermits somewhere and just sit around and meditate on the Lord all day? No, not at all. That's not the kingdom that he has called us to. But we can't be distracted. You know, I've heard, I've heard our Christian life is like a TV dinner. Do you remember those? They were, remember the foil plates? And you put them in the oven, and I always hate it when the peas got in my dessert. <laughs> and people treat their faith like it's a TV dinner. Well, he's just that little, that little cornbread section in the corner. And someone more spiritual said, oh, well, Jesus is my main course. He's the, he's the important part, but he's still just a part. And God says, you know what, believer, Christ follower, he's the whole tray. He's the tray. He can't be compartmentalized. He's everything. Later on, I mentioned the, the woes that Jesus will give to, uh, to, the, to these leaders. And he's brutal. I mean, he's, he's calling them snakes and vipers and uh, blind guides and all these different things. Uh, and he says, what you're doing is you're ignoring you're, you're ignoring the weightier matters of God and his law. Specifically, he mentions justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Says, you, you care about all these little dinky little things. And he says, you strain out a, a, a gnat and swallow a camel. Again, an, an exaggeration. But they're forgetting what God is really like. They're forgetting God period. They're forgetting to show honor and respect to the king. Then the other thing, the other application for us is are we willing to, are trying to slip into the wedding? Like that one 
poorly dressed man. Some people come to God that way. They want the benefits of the banquet, but not the obligation. I used the term fire insurance faith earlier. There is no such thing as fire insurance faith. You're all in or you're not. You, we have to expect change when we come to faith. And I know there are times when we're going to go through deserts, we're going to go through dry times, but overall you're able to see God's work through my life in this way and other ways as well. He's, he's revealing himself and his word to you. And by doing that, by changing, by listening to the word, listening uh, to one another as part of the church, listening to the Holy Spirit, our hearts and our minds and our lives start to change. That's called fruit. We have to come to God with unconditional surrender. We don't come to him on our terms. We'll all come if you do this and that for me. No, no, no. We just come. The invitation is open and we come ready to not just receive his blessings, but be changed. Let's take some time to pray, to pause. First of all, let's just remember we're part of the wedding feast. God has invited believers to be part of his kingdom. We deserve nothing, but, the, but on top of all that he's given us just with salvation, it is a feast of untold proportions. Let's, let's thank him for that. Let's also, as we pray, to, be pre to prepare for the wedding feast by, maybe there's something God's been working on your heart. I need to work on this. I need to work on that. I need to, to clean that part of my garment up. Or say, I will practice listening for the wedding feast announcement by. I'm always going to keep my plans, my desires Hold them loosely because maybe sometime he's going to call me to do something that's going to mess up all of, all of my personal plans. Would you pray with me then as you like and pray out loud? Uh, if you're going to stay quiet, please be, be listening. Listening to what other people are praying and join them. If you want to shout out a yes or an amen in response to that, feel free. Let's pray. Yes. Mm -hmm.
God, I don't want to be distracted. And there are a lot of distractions in this world. Some of the distractions we carry in our pockets. Other distractions are good things. But oh, to be ready for that invitation. I remember that um, one Jeff Moore song says, let us, let us walk and run and crawl if we have to. But get, get to, to your place, to your calling, your kingdom. Because that's what's going to last. That's what's going to be forever. God, no one here, no one in this room is ready. We've all got stuff where you're working on us. Attitudes, besetting weaknesses and sins. Places where the fruit of the Spirit is not clear. And God, I, I pray for myself. I know I... I, I can be lazy. I can, be, I can lack self-control. I could be more uh, guided by my, by my belly than, uh, than by uh, your desires for me. So, Lord, I, I, want to, I want to be cleansed. I want to be purified. I want to be made whole uh, and, and not here. Well, why are you wearing that filthy garment? But, God, I want you to continually work in my heart and change me. So God, help us to be ready. We have ears to hear, we have eyes to see, and we want to hear what you have for us to be part of your eternal kingdom. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, so our worship team comes back up. Uh, just a few announcements and reminders. We have the uh, Lenten gatherings that uh, just started last week. This Wednesday on the 21st will be here. And so encourage you to join us, bring some other uh, believers from our community. Uh, we're also hoping to serve some cookies along with some tea and, and decaf and everything. You forgot, you forgot the cookies. You know what? You could still bring them on Wednesday. That's fine. Uh, and so just, you know, drop. We're going to be here, I guess. I'll probably be here around five or so, get, get the building uh, open and everything. So if, if you're not going to be here, then it's some other opportunity. Uh, bring them by and we will. Um, appreciate that. They're going to continue all the way into March, uh, not the week immediately prior to Easter, but uh, for about six weeks. Do we still have the 
schedule back there somewhere? The little sheets, half sheets, yellow sheets. So those are available, and you can see exactly which church we're going to be each Wednesday night at 7 uh, p.m. Also, as we think about Easter, always want to encourage all of us to invite someone. There are people, there are friends, family, co-workers for whom uh, we maybe had a burden for, and for, thank you, Amy, uh, that we want to hear the gospel. And so we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2, part of Peter's sermon. This Jesus is the name of the message and focusing on him. And so that will be our, our uh, Easter message. It's the last Sunday in March. So if there is someone for whom you've been thinking about, praying about, um, and you want someone else to join you in prayer, well, tell someone else. Uh, let me know. Send me an email. Let me, you know, let me know face-to-face and be happy to be praying with you, joining in prayer for really about over a month we have to pray for him as well. Um, and then uh, also we are, uh, have been uh, burdened and, and excited also for an opportunity for us to do, for lack of a better word, discipleship, building and growing in our faith. And we are going to start that the first Sunday of March, and it'll, it'll be several modules uh, that we're looking at. And I know I just said modules, and that sounds so much like a curriculum, uh, but it really is about our, our character. Uh, there are character qualities from Acts chapter 6. There are men of prayer, there are um, uh, of character, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. And so we're going to take time looking at each of those qualifications uh, for those guys who were just called to really serve tables. But first Sunday is when we're going to start. We're going to start with prayer, um, and it will go for multiple weeks, uh, and it'll be at 8 a.m. And so it'll be some book reading and also some video teaching at that time. Uh, If you are interested in that and want to be part of that, that is fantastic. Please let me know. Uh, to make sure that we have enough resources. But I'm also saying, please make that a commitment. I know sometimes, like with uh, uh, maybe even our life groups, we can come and go. And I get it. Things come up. But I'm saying, please make that a commitment to to guard it as much as you possibly can. We are going to continue worshiping, but I also wanted to say one more thing. Next week, our last parable, our last kingdom parable is from Matthew 25, if you wanted to read ahead, the parable of the ten virgins. Please stand as I...